Good morning. We're in Joshua, strong and courageous. And this last Monday, I had been planning to speak on chapter two. And Joshua sends spies into the land because they're preparing to enter the land. And they know that it'll involve some conflict and great challenge. So I'd been working in chapter two, but on Monday, I just felt like I had a tap on the shoulder. And so I reread chapter one and verses 10 through 18 spoke to me in some ways that I felt like the Lord didn't want me to skip over. And I wasn't really happy about that because I really felt like I had done a lot of work in chapter two, and now all of a sudden it was like starting at, at scratch. And so I was reading some uh, scholars on the topic of those verses, and, and one said, with regard to the verses we'll look at this morning, um, he says, this is an historic event. And he goes on to talk about the fact that, and he's reminding me and he's reminding, now I'm, I'm reminding you that it's been some eight centuries, you know, uh, since uh, Abraham, and Isaac and Jacob and their sojourn, you know, they were resident aliens in the land. And then they moved down into Egypt. You remember the story of Joseph? And they've been in Egypt, but they've been enslaved. And over all this time now, well, as we will see, they're within three days of the Jordan. And they're going to cross it. And they're going to enter the land. And he calls this an historic moment. And this repeated call that we've seen, be strong, be courageous, not just in Joshua, but if you read in Deuteronomy this over this same kind of period of time, be strong and courageous. So I'm guessing that we have to be strong and courageous because there are some reasons for butterflies. You know what butterflies are? It's anxiety, nervousness, fear, concern the drama of it all. Are we making a mistake? <laughs> I'm sure Joshua had questions like that because I do. And the Lord teaches us some things even right here in these verses, chapter one, verses 10 through 18 because the Lord makes the difference. We're diligent as a staff, as boards to prepare, and it's ongoing. And we're diligent about that because the Lord makes the difference. The Lord is compelling, empowering, motivating, assuring, encouraging, challenging. And there's this amazing unity amidst the boards, the staff, and our church family. And there is an expectation of great things. And we see all these things, these three things, we're called to prepare, to unite, and to expect. 
in the Lord. And we see that in verses 10 through 18. Let me read it to you. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people. Last week, we emphasized this magnificent choice that Joshua was called to make. And he's, he's got to really anchor that choice in the Lord, not in himself. And so having made that choice, he actually begins to prepare the people. And so Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions. For within three days, you are to pass over this Jordan to go and to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, remember, remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, the Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor will pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to your land, the land of your possession, and possess it the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And then the people of these three tribes, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh responded and answered Joshua, all that you've commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with us as he was with Moses. And whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him, shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. The Lord makes the difference at a time to prepare, at a time to unite at a time to expect. Sometimes it's, um, if we can just get our thoughts, get our eyes, so to speak, set our hearts on the Lord, it changes everything within us. In verse 11, we have an echo of verse two. Joshua says, we're gonna cross the Jordan, you and all this people, to the land that God has given them. And that's repeated here as Joshua speaks to the people. He has to get everybody across, not just him or not just a precious few. And so he tells them to prepare in verse 11. And what they're preparing for is not battle. It's just get provisions together. It's a word that really has to do with 
Prepare to, to carry what you need to sustain a journey for three days. And they begin to move. In fact, in chapter 3, if you were to flip over in your Bible to chapter 3 and look at verses 2 and 3, you would see that they're now at the edge of the river. So they've only moved for about three days. And it is in this short, small increment that they begin to prepare. And he wants them to provide for themselves for this short journey. During that time, Joshua sends spies into the land to survey what's going on so that they can adequately prepare. And what I want us to see is that preparation does come in steps. And if you reflect upon your own experience, maybe some big challenges, when you are faced with the enormity of the challenge, it may cause your knees to knock. It may cause your spirit to flag, you know, to, to weaken. You think, how am I going to do this? I remember when I was a student, um, I was in my 20s at the time, um, I was being considered for faculty at Fresno Pacific College, in fact, at the time. And uh, one of the provisions of my hiring was that I go on and complete what they called at the time a terminal degree, which didn't sound that encouraging, but they were referring to a PhD degree uh, for academics and teaching. And of course, I committed to that immediately, and that's something I always ultimately wanted, but when it really got down to imagining the work that would be put in and whether I could accomplish that, I really didn't feel up to the task. It was quite frightening. And so I put, put, it, on or put it off or postponed it. But you know what I did learn through that when I really had to face up to that is that God prepares us for those big challenges. He does in ways sometimes that we can't see, but we realize, if we realize that he's going he's gonna to get us there, he's going to prepare us to be there and be ready when that challenge has to be wrestled to the ground, so to speak. And so my PhD mantra was, Lord, when the day comes, you'll have me ready. Now, we can use language like that to help us appreciate the fact that the Lord is faithful and he does things in our lives to get us ready for things that we may not even see, challenges that we have yet to face. But if we're aware of the Lord's work in our lives, a mantra like that can be very important. Lord, you'll have me ready when I have to face that. And so it was that the preparation that I needed was taking place in small ways that I didn't even understand. Not to talk too much about myself, but when I felt the call of God to, to move to San Francisco and, and respond to the the call, the need of this small church in San Francisco. And Shelly immediately uh, took away any apprehension. She was willing to go wherever. And 
we sold everything to make that move. And God did great things in our marriage, in our lives over those 10 years. But when I look back, um, being ready to assume some of the responsibilities of Grace Community Church and bring the church through some of the difficulties that it was going through. I had been prepared for that during that time. So it's so important, I think, to bring alive our relationship with the Lord, to realize that the Lord makes the difference. It's not just for someone else. It's in our lives. We need to be open to his leading. We need to be aware of his leading. We need to know that he is preparing us for things that are of importance, that we are not insignificant in the Lord. In our own personal plans, everything is supposed to revolve around us, but when the Lord is at work in our lives and has plans to use us, we're plugged in like a puzzle piece. God is using us in the lives of others starting in our home, starting in our neighborhood, starting where we work, starting at school. If we're so consumed with ourselves that we don't realize that the Lord is preparing for things that involve others, then we're using God as some kind of a genie, some kind of talisman. We're not open to the discomforts that the Lord wants to bring us into in order to shape us and forge us. I was in athletics. I was in a number of different things that without hard work, without being kind of stripped down and shaken, I wasn't going to grow. I wasn't going to learn. I wasn't going to be tested or realize the things that I could actually endure and achieve in the Lord. The Lord makes the difference. The Lord wants to make the difference in our lives, but not just as individuals. You know, people are looking. People are watching us. Not just as individuals, but as a congregation. They see Christ in us, or they don't. I had a pastor who, <laughs> I think it was the, the era, and I was a much younger man then, but he talked a lot about the fact that Jesus wasn't some kind of a cream puff. He was a strong man. But I also think in our day and age, not only is Jesus strong, but he is compassionate and he's real. And he is the first human of the new humanity. We are to be created in his likeness. He is the blueprint for our lives, if you will. We are to be made in his image. And people need to see that in us. And it's a stronger impression when they see it, not just in me or just in you, but they see it in us. And these are the things that the Lord wants to forge. Not just a jewel, but a necklace, if you will. Because he can do that in all our lives when we put him first. 
But we have to be aware that the Lord makes the difference and he is at work in our lives. In the little details, on the grand scale of things, it's hard to justify to our own hearts that God could be concerned with the little things. But if the little things are causing us to fail, fail at being human, fail at being the best we can be, failing at setting an example, failing at being someone that inspires others, not depends on the inspiration of others, but is plugged into the Lord and finds inspiration and power and direction through him in our little worlds. But you see, that's what creates someone who can step into another world and into another situation and be available to other people. We are not to be the people that just wait around for God to do something. God is on the move in our lives. If we don't see that, the world can't see that. He makes a difference at a time to prepare. He makes a difference at a time to unite. In verses 12 through 15, you know, when I first looked at this on Monday, I thought, nobody's going to be interested in all this tribe stuff, you know, the Reubenites, the Gadites, the half-tribe of Manasseh. What's all that about? What's that have to do with us and all the challenges? This world seems to be on the verge of falling apart or blowing itself up. So what do we make of that? Well, what we make of it is the fact that when the people came toward the land and were going to enter it the first time, and of course, Moses sent the spies in and the report came back, no way, it's too scary. But there were the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the, the Manasseh boys, <laughs> who all had an inheritance. <laughs> uh, the Manasseh, Manasseh was the son of Joseph, you may recall. So now his family and all his descendants, you see, and then those of Gad and those of Reuben, they found good pasture on the other side of the Jordan. And they asked to stay. And Moses allowed it. He said, you know, if, if you find this cozy and meaningful and you can thrive here and your cattle grow fat and life is good here, great. Well, they're all on that side of the Jordan, but they made a pact. They made a commitment. Now, some of those who actually made that commitment are gone. Life goes like that. And, jo jo and, and Joshua has to remind the families of the commitment that they made. Because Moses said, look, if you're going to stay here, blessings on you. But when the time comes for all the rest of us to go into the land, we need you to saddle up. We need you to go with us. You, we need you to help us get what we have already given you. And they said, we will. Promise? Yeah, we promise. And now Joshua has to invoke that, even though Moses, to whom the promise was made, has died. 
Are you going to stand by that? Are you going to be true blue? What's your word worth? You know, we could use some of that. I think we live, maybe it's always been this way. I, I, I do think Things never change. Sometimes they seem a little more stout than at other times or sometimes a little more weak than at other times. But we're all the same in the, all the problems that we face right now. Some enlarged, writ large on the screen or through focus. You know, sometimes if you just look at one thing, it can be quite challenging just because you're focused on it. Sometimes we become fixated on certain things. But if you step back and look around, yeah, nothing's really changed. Same problems, different colors, different dates on the calendar. But it seems to me that we're a people of broken promises. That's why I made so much of the choice that Joshua had to make. Choices. If they're really choices that have any length and strength, they are in a sense, a sense of intention and promise. And so what we are viewing here in this, these verses, verses 12 through 15, is an exchange of intention, an exchange of choices, an exchange of promises, if you will. They are reminded and they renew their vows. We moderns, as I said, could use to recover the power of a promise. Unity is built. It didn't just happen. It, it's built on choices. It's built on promises and intentions. And that is why the Lord is so important to the church and why the Lord makes all the difference. If you and I call him Lord, then that brings us closer together. We are one in the Lord. So goes the song. And if the Lord isn't real, if, a, if the Lord is just something for church, you know, like a place that we go to at a certain time of the week, then our unity will not be very strong. If the Lord can speak to our hearts and change our attitudes, that Lord is stronger than the Lord who cannot speak to our hearts and change our attitudes. If it has to be our way at the expense of everything and everyone else, even if we're wrong. Sometimes when we're wrong, we know we're wrong and we even get more stubborn. And how do I know that? Well, I read it in a book because I've never done that. No, I know it from experience. You know, the Christian life is really an introspective life. Some people turn it into a life of inspection others, but it's truly a life of introspection. And it's about us being real with the Lord and knowing his lordship is real for us. That's where loyalty 
faith and character lead to unity. It's a great power. Years ago, as a, as a young guy, preparing, you know, preparing for ministry is, is like preparing for a lot of things, but really, it's all about people. So pre- preparing how to know people, how to know the Lord, how to translate the truth of God's word to the lives of others. It's a, it's a really practical thing in so many ways, even though there are specialties. But a brother in the Lord told me, John, when I had asked him for some advice, he said, John, you cannot drive a two-ton truck over a one-ton bridge. And I have thought about that so many times, I could really not count the number of times that little slogan, that little image of trying to drive a truck that's heavier than the bridge that I'm trying to go over can support. And I've applied that to many areas of my life, Um, relationships most of all. Sometimes we want to deliver advice, but we have to ask ourselves, is the bridge strong enough to bear the advice? Do I need to build that bridge better so that I can deliver that advice? Those things really bring about unity when we're considerate of others. You can't outrun trust. We have to build trust in others to build unity. And we can do that best when we trust ourselves in the Lord. When I was, uh, I was an intern for a number of years and they sent me to a church to preach every Sunday. They needed a preacher. It was an Assyrian church, a Christian Assyrian church. And it was full of people that had come from Assyria, which actually was a land that straddled Iran and Iraq. And they had migrated. And then in 1980, when the Shah of Iran was ousted and Iran fell, many more came. And during that time, for actually three years, I would speak every Sunday with the people of St. John's Presbyterian Assyrian Church. And a lovely people. But they were kind of set in their ways. And what I found and I discovered was it was only after three years of being with them, being in their home, sharing life with them, speaking to them about the Lord, listening to them in the Lord. It was only after three years that they trusted me. Now, I don't think that they were holding me at bay, but there was a trust that was built. And as a result, we began to see change that I hadn't seen in the early years. It created great, a sense of great patience in me for earning the trust and caring for people. These are the kinds of things that we need to be 
aware of in our families, in our friendships. We can't just tell people to trust us. We need to live, live lives that are trustworthy. I found that pastors can't earn trust. They can earn trust, I, I want to say, by letting the Lord just rule their hearts and their intentions and not be conditioned on how people perceive how the Lord is leading them. One of the hardest things of growing up as a person, even as an adult, this is not a chronological thing. This is a maturation thing of being a better person. In the pastorate, a lot of people question your motives, your intentions. I have to make sure that the court of appeals for me is always the Lord. And that's why I can steer a steady course, whether people see it right or not. I have to keep steering that course, knowing that my intentions are right and good before the Lord, for the people, for the flock. Not just the 99, but also the one. At a time of, that calls for unity and preparation and also a time to expect. We see that in verses 16 and 18. And by the way, verse 18 is really kind of a tough thing. When you talk about exchanging intentions, that's really kind of a cultural exclamation mark that they're making. I mean, that really tells you they're committed, right? If there was any question about their intention, verse 18 really tells you they're fully, fully committed. But what I also want us to appreciate is that they are expectant. They expect the Lord to do great things. That changes everything. In the church office, we have a, a professional person who comes in and cleans every week. She happens to know one of the staff, and he has a little uh, whiteboard on his door. And she leaves a quote on that little whiteboard. And there was a quote two weeks ago, and I thought, hmm, that's, that's really good. I'm going to share that with you. And it, it's, it goes like this. The problem is not the problem. The problem is your attitude about the problem. In other words, with a change of heart, change of perspective, and by the way, it wasn't Jack Sparrow that said that. It was a, a coach in, what is it, uh, uh, sisterhood of the traveling pants, just for those detailed people that really like to know every little thing. Is that really on the up and up? Where did you get that kind of thing? But the problem is not the problem. The problem is our attitude about the problem. And sometimes our expectations, if they're terrified, if they're sad and things like that, problems are bigger insurmountable. We can't even get up off the couch to address that problem. But if our attitude about the problem is right, and what changes the attitude of the problem is what I'm saying is it's the Lord. He makes the difference. What do we expect of the Lord? What kind of track work record does the Lord have? 
He has a great track record. I'm gonna be talking to middle schoolers on Thursday morning. I'd really appreciate your prayers for that. I get nervous speaking at all times, even to this day, even with you. Uh, But when it comes to speaking to middle schoolers, that's pretty terrifying to me. But I wanted to talk to them a little bit about making memories even at their age. And what I want to share with them is the fact that the Lord is in my memories. You make memories with the Lord in the moment. Some of the fondest things that you remember, where's the Lord in some of those things? It's a reflection, it's a mirror on the Lord in your life. And I'll tell you, when you look back and you see the good of the Lord, then you can wait upon the Lord. Wait upon the Lord in the Old Testament is a Hebrew word, of course, but it it also is a word that means hope. In some contexts, it's translated hope. You see, when you wait expectantly, you are hoping. And we are to wait upon the Lord. I realize that when we're facing challenges and difficulties, we want things right now. Of course. We want them solved for us. We want to put our feet up and wait for the Lord to fix everything. But that's not how the Lord grows our faith, is it? That's not how we learn to trust him more and more and more. We don't just trust him once. We trust him daily. We find our life in him. And that takes expectancy. Expectancy. To be prepared. To be united. To be expectant. The Lord makes a difference. I hope he'll make a difference in me. I know that he will make a difference in you, and he will make a difference in us, not just for us, but through us as we move together in the Lord. Before I pray, before we close in song, I want to remind you, I'll be up front if you would like to pray with me, either, you know, Pastor, pray for me regarding this or that. This is going on in my life. I've made this decision. Maybe you would also like to pray for somebody else. We have some people who pray for others all the time, and they're real good at interceding on behalf of others. Maybe you want to include us in that. Whatever it is, we invite you to come. Let me pray, and we'll stand and sing our closing song. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you. You're such a great God. And if there were any question, all we have to do is look at your son and who he is and what he has done and who he is in his exalted glory and honor. And it is in his name that we pray. And all of God's people said, amen.